turn. crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. exciting episode of the Fire and Water podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the Eisenbergish Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? I thought she was with you. <laughs> well, that was pretty, Eisenberg's pretty, line. Pretty good. No, I know that, but uh, it's the line. I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm no Chris Franklin, but I, I don't think it's <laughs> too bad. That wasn't too bad. That wasn't too bad. And if if it's not obvious, we're dropping hints at the new Batman Superman trailer, which was just released um, earlier today as, at the time of this recording. So the whole internet is a buzz about it. People are talking. So, um, you know, what the hell? We'll spend a couple of minutes on this. What do you think, man? Uh, very happy to see Wonder Woman so prominently. I mean, boom, she's right there with the other two. Uh, my heart sank when I saw Doomsday. Um, it's just like, oh, great, another CGI monster with way too many little uh, details. Nobody can make a compelling-looking CGI creature anymore. Everything's all over-rendered. and So I didn't like that at all. I'm really not happy that it's Doomsday. Uh, But the rest of it I liked, although I have to admit, I think Clark Kent's not a great reporter if he doesn't recognize trillionaire Bruce Wayne. But maybe he's maybe he's playing dumb, so he seems like even more of like a hayseed. So he throws people off the the scent that he's of course Superman. Okay, to be fair, at least the way the trailers cut, he asks, "Well, Bruce is still in the car." Well, I uh, guess he's, he, yeah, he's X-ray vision though. I suppose. Well, that, yeah, there there you go. Yeah, I mean, I liked all the rest of it. I liked the stuff with with Jesse Eisenberg as Luthor. I think it's fun. It just. The Doomsday, that's the only part I was like, oh, I don't want to see Doomsday, but okay, it's all right. I don't care. I'm so excited to see Wonder Woman. I was maybe hoping we'd get a glimpse of Aquaman, but I guess that's not going to happen. Oh, I think that's all we're going to get in the movie is a glimpse of Aquaman. Well, well, okay. You could show him for like a tenth of his. I mean, they're making a figure from him for Pete's sake. They've they've already really? Yeah, they've already released the pictures of that today. See, the king, the, uh, yeah, Dawn of Justice Aquaman figure, and it looks just like, it's like a blondish version of uh, Carl Drogo. How funny. How funny. Well, I, I, I really liked Henry Cavill as Clark Kent. 
I like Tim Clark Kent quite a bit, actually. Like, and it, it, it looks a lot like the Tom Welling Smallville Clark Kent. Maybe that's why I just immediately got on board with it. But I'm like, wow, I, I love that. I thought Affleck did a very good job as Bruce Wayne. I liked his intensity. I love that line about um, colorful clowns in Gotham, in Gotham City. City. Yeah, that was great. Uh, I'm actually okay with the Doomsday creature. Uh, and, you know, I got to ask, is it Doomsday or is it Bizarro or is it both? It looks like Doomsday. I would well, love sure, it sure, if it sure. was Bizarro, it looks, but it sure looks like Doomsday. But it looks just like Doomsday. But I guess where I'm going, though, is, I mean, it's creative from Kryptonian DNA. Is right, it right, right. You know, it's more Doomsday than, than Bizarro. I guess I was just trying to hope they would fit a Bizarro in there somehow. I was perfectly fine with it, actually. And I'm not even a Doomsday fan. Uh, in the no, comics. I'm not. A, I'm not either. So I was when I saw the creature, I was like, "Oh, because it makes." I mean, Superman and Batman have to battle, and they have to stop battling at some point. Sure. And what's sure. going to make them stop battling other than beating the crap out of each other? Oh, a common threat. Yeah. So I was fine with that. And seeing Wonder Woman is fantastic. I watched the trailer with my with my 15 year or I guess he's 16 now. My 16 year old and my wife, and my wife doesn't keep up with any of this stuff. And she at the end of the trailer, she goes. What's Famke Jansen doing in this movie? <laughs> I'm like, what? I thought she was kidding. She was dead serious. She thought that was Famke Jansen. I'm like, maybe 20 years ago, honey, but <laughs> not now. You have to inform her that is the future Mrs. David Gutierrez, uh, oh. Gal, Gal, Gajo, Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot. Really? Okay. Well, once I told She's her. She's got quite a thing for her. <laughs> once I told her it was Wonder Woman, she was like, no, it's not. Like, <laughs> no, really, that was Wonder Woman. That is not Wonder Woman. Like, but but no, Wonder Woman wears red, white, you know, or red, yellow, and and gold or whatever. You know, no red, primary colors this time around. And she's like, and I'm like, oh well, no, that's that's actually red, honey. It's just a really really dark red, and that's yellow, but it's really really dark. No, that's not Wonder Woman. Okay, honey, yeah, we're done. Um, <laughs> anyway, the there's really only one aspect of the trailer I didn't like, and it was Jesse Eisenberg. Um, I realize he's supposed to be playing the comical. Uh, Gene Hackman, Luther, whatever, and and there's the whole internet is like screaming at each other about this right now, and I'm probably just going to piss off more people, and it's going to make the comment thread 17 times longer, and nothing to do with the comics we're going to talk about. But I hated every second he was on the screen. I wanted to scratch his eyes out. Um, I don't I don't know the actor at all, so this isn't. I'm not carrying some previous bias on other roles he's done. I know a lot of people don't like him from whatever he's done. I don't know what the heck, uh, but. Like Hackman and even Spacey, honestly, as the comical Luthers, they had such a presence that even when they were joking around, they controlled the room. They they had oomph. They control. They just had a real wowness factor to them. This guy, annoying little twerp, is what hmm. I see. Okay. Now, I all I saw was a couple of seconds in a trailer. He might be perfectly fine in the movie. I did see one glimpse of intensity from him in the in the trailer. When he's with cool. uh, Lois. No, I hated that. Oh, um, okay. Maybe it was the part when he said, you know, I, you know, the devil will make the, the whatever. The part about making Doomsday. Like, that part mm-hmm. was kind of like, okay. Either way. But I will say, in defense, my 16-year-old, when it was over, that's the first thing he said. I like the funny legs. Okay. So, you know what? If it works for him, that's fine, because this there is his generation Superman, not mine. Okay. So, But, all in all, I'm, I don't know whether I'm more excited for the movie or not, but... I'm still interested in seeing it. I'm not less interested. Yeah, I would say the same thing. It, did, it didn't increase my excitement, uh, but it didn't decrease it either. I was like, well, okay, fine. Yeah, I'm like, again, I want there to be lots of Wonder Woman. I'm really excited that, that, yeah. that they're going to give her, they're clearly placing her 
marketing wise sort of there. I mean, she was dead center at the end of that movie, oh, yeah. at the end of that trailer. That was pretty amazing. So I hope that she's got a nice big part in it. And I, the stuff I'm hearing about the, the her solo movie sounds interesting. So I'm I'm real excited about this. They're filming already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I hope it. I hope it all comes together. I, I I'm probably most excited about Wonder Woman. In that trailer, I, I thought that was pretty cool. And part of that, I'm just biased because of my daughter. I want her to have a strong female role model other than Supergirl. I want, you know, somebody out there. And, um, yeah, I guess that's all I got. All right. Okay. So what we should probably do is take a second to thank our sponsors. But, folks, just want to tell you, it's our monthly review episode. If you didn't figure that out yet based on the iTunes feed or whatever you read of the title, it's our monthly review episode. So before we get into that, folks... Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStock Trades. InStock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collections, all for up to 42% off with free shipping on orders of $50 or more. What you got, buddy? I am selecting All New Adam, Volume 1, My Life in Miniature, trade paperback by Gail Simone, John Byrne, Eddie Barrows, and Trevor Scott. This collects the first six issues of the, I guess, the most recent Adam series from 2006. Uh, the cover artist is Ariel Olivetti, and it's Adam issues one through six. The normal price is fourteen ninety nine. In stock trades price eight dollars and twenty four cents, forty five percent off. For any of you wondering why I am picking this, I am wondering other than it's A, and that's the first thing you found in the alphabet. No, the the reason will become clear later on in the show. Okay. Um, I now I will ask this: Have you read them? No. Okay, I've read it. It's trippy because it, okay. what it wasn't just Gail writing it. Um, if I remember right, she was writing it from like either Graham Morrison or Keith Giffen's notes. Oh boy! So I mean, it's, there's some weird ass. I imagine Keith like, Giffen notes are like written on the back of highway signs and paper bags and all sorts <laughs> of weird. You know, you got to uh, hold it up to a mirror because then it's backwards, Gail. That's how you figure out the plot. <laughs> oh, okay, thanks, Keith. There's some bizarre stuff in here. Now it's fun. I I love Ryan Choi as the Adam. So. Um, my pick, actually, one of them will become clear in a moment, too, but one of them is pretty straightforward. I, I picked two this time because I just couldn't limit myself. So the first one is the one that's uh, it'll make sense later. It's New Mutants, X-Force, New Mutants and X-Force, trade paperback, Demon Bear. Now, what this collects is, uh, at first I didn't know what I was looking at. I'm like, what am I looking at? Because I thought I was looking for just a collection of New Mutants, but it turns out this is one that combined some issues of New Mutants and some issues of later of X-Force because I had a continuing story thread through it. Collects the... First three issues of New Mutants when Bill Sienkiewicz was drawing the book. I don't know if you ever read New Mutants back yes, in the day. Yes, I did. So remember the Demon Bear saga from eight, no, that issue 18? That was a good book. That yeah, was. was a good book. Yes, it was. Issue 18 to issue 20. So you've got Claremont. You've got Bill Sienkiewicz. It is, I mean, this is some of the best mid-80s mutant stuff out there, folks. Awesome. And what they've done is they've combined it with an issue of X-Force, uh, from the original series, issue 99, and then three issues of X-Force from the 2008 series, which was issues 7 through 10. And apparently, I guess the Demon Bear comes back in much later subsequent issues, and even Warpath has to deal with the Demon Bear. So it sort of follows that thread through. And, there, and that X-Force series from the, 2008 is highly regarded. So while I've read the initial Demon Bear saga, I actually want to check this out. I want to read the later stuff myself. So I'm going to be looking up these X-Force issues and contrasting it with the original Demon Bear. So I'm looking forward to that. So 144 pages, uh, full color, normally retails for $24.99. You can get on in-stock trades right now, 50% off. That's right, 50% off, $12.49. That'd be worth it just for the three issues of the Demon Bear, the first half of the Demon Bear, you know? So the other one I'm going to uh, pimp is something that I am reading currently, uh, Avengers Forever. Trade paperback. Uh, have you ever read Avengers Forever? No. 
Okay. It came out in, uh, I want to say, 99. It is so freaking good. It's written by Kurt Busiek and Roger Stern, art by uh, Carl, Carlos Pacheco. And I don't know if you're familiar with Pacheco's artwork. He is really, really good. And it is a, it's a first of all, it's a gorgeous book. Artistically, it's beautiful. It's written by Busiek. It is, the best way to describe it, it is Crisis on Infinite Earths for the Avengers. Okay. Now, it doesn't have that kind of impact at the end of it, but I mean, just the scope, the epicness, there's tons of time travel. Um, what made me realize is there's a segment that takes place in the Old West, and that's kind of all clicked for me. I'm like, wait a minute, this is like Crisis. And what it is, is they've taken this group of disparate Avengers from various time periods, and they're not the best of the best. Some of them are like a complete wreck, actually. Like, one of them is Hank Pym at his absolute worst. <laughs> Uh, another one is Captain America when he's lost all motivation to be Captain America right before he became Nomad. Okay. So, I mean, it's it's weird, uh, the collection they brought together. And there's some from the future Avengers, people that hadn't even become Avengers yet. And it's really damn good. I mean, this is exceptional. In fact, I think it was Doug Zawija, when I put something on Facebook the other day, he actually said that it's like his favorite Avengers story ever. He owns the floppies, the hardcover, the softcover, and digital. I mean, it's nuts. So, uh, three... 128 pages, folks. 328 pages, and every single frame is gorgeous. Every frame. And uh, full color, obviously. Normally retails for $29.99. You get 12 issues of this miniseries. Right now, 45% off. You can get it for $16.49. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And where can, where can they find these things, Rob? In stocktrades.com. There it is, folks. All right. Well, we are back for our monthly review episode where we review the uh, classic Firestorm series and we review the current issues of Aquaman. But we're going we're gonna to turn it on its head this time. We're going to start off with Firestorm, right? Mm-hmm. You going to do the synopsis for this one? No, I don't think anybody I, – I'm hoping that you will do this from, say, like a 10,000-foot level. <laughs> Funny you should mention that. <laughs> I hate you. I hate you so much. Um all right, folks. We are covering Fury of Firestorm number 20. I'm sorry, Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, number 25. Cover dated July 1984. If you want a fresh copy of this, folks, you need to jump on your cosmic treadmill, or better yet, ooh, ooh, get in Kang's Time Sphinx ship. That's what you need from Avengers Forever. And travel back to April 5th, 1984. Thanks to Mike's, Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics for that. You know, Rob, we're starting a new segment this week doing this, too. You got the memo on that, right? Uh, I don't read your email, so I'm not aware of this. <laughs> All right, so going forward, whenever we do an old comic, uh, I'm going to do a new segment called On the Shelves. Like every other podcast does this. Does this? They go through and they say, you know, when they cover an old comic, they say, here's what's coming out then. We're like the only folks who don't. I do it for who's who, but it's pretty much just a long list of numbers, which gets pretty boring. So what I did was I decided I'm going to limit myself to five comics that were out that same month. Because, you know, it's harder than it seems. It seems like that's just cheap to, you know, only have to do five. But, dude, I spent a long time really agonizing which titles to pick. Because in the month of April 1984, there are so many good comics. And just these five alone, you're going to be like, oh, wow, okay. So here we go. Number one on the list. Alpha Flight number 12. Boom. <laughs> That's correct. That's a good way to put it. Uh, this is uh, John Byrne. This is the end of the first year, and one of the Alpha Flight members die, folks. The cover's all pinkish red. Everyone's, like, inside these crosshair things. It's a really iconic cover. In fact, I've got it on a T-shirt. Nerd! <laughs> I, I wear it proudly. So, great comic, Alpha Flight number 12. All right, number two on the list from April 1984, Blue Devil number two. 
I love Blue Devil so much. And the second issue is where he fights Shockwave. This is Paris Collins, Dan uh, Mishkin, Gary Cohn at their best. Great comic. I mean, I'm I'm kind of a fan of like I'm a nerd. I like I like issue number twos more than issue number one sometimes. And this is one of those where it's like number one's amazing. I, I think I got to give it a number one, but number two is just that close. It's that good. All right, third comic on the uh, uh, April 1984 list: um, Secret Wars number four. So, Rob, I got to ask you, how do you stop the Hulk? You drop a mountain on him. You're damn right you do. That's how you stop the Hulk. Right? In fact, all the heroes. This is the one where Molecule Man drops an entire mountain it's range. such a good story. It really is. I love that the heroes have to piss the Hulk off to make him stronger to keep him from dropping the mountain on them. So they're, like, purposely insulting him and stuff. It's fantastic. Spoilers! <laughs> but it's, uh, it's such a great issue. It really, really is. All right. Fourth one on this hit parade. New Mutants number 18. First one with Bill Sienkiewicz. It's the first installment of the demon bear saga great comic did you ever did you read new mutants back then yeah we talked about that we talked about that in the first time we recorded this no we just talked about during your in stock trade segment did we yeah okay new mutants is a great comic wow (laughs) all right last one fifth one okay so far all these have been super winners you're right fifth one on april 1984 Tales of the New Teen Titans, number 44, and annual number three. Oh, the Judas Contract. The Judas Contract, part three and part four. But it's a good time for comics. April 1984. (laughs) A lot of good stuff. And there's a bunch I left out, okay? There's more I wanted to say, but I said, nope, nope, not doing it, not doing it. I am going to sneak one of them in later because there's actually an ad in the Firestorm comic for it, so I'm going to, you know, backdoor pilot it, I guess. But, all right, so let's talk about this. Fury of Firestorm, Nuclear Man, number 25, cover by... uh, Raphael Cayannon and Dick Giordano, and it is one of the absolute craziest and funniest Firestorm covers of the whole 100 issues. It is Firestorm being attacked by all of these animals. Some of them look threatening. Some of them look ridiculously cuddly, but but with evil expressions on their faces. And uh, the, the subtitle is Toy Death, or Black Bison Rides Again. And Firestorm is actually yelling the expression, This is stupid, <laughs> with an exclamation point, and the word balloon's all jaggedy. I love this cover so much. And in the corner there, it's just also featuring, need we say it, Firehawk. And they've got a little cheesecakey picture of Firehawk there. It's like an inset picture. Before I talk about it, what do you, what do you think of this cover? Oh, it's a lot of fun. I love the, the wolf in the bottom right corner who's drooling. Uh, that's a nice touch. I never uh, noticed that. Yes. I like that the teddy bear has his face in the ass of that cat. That's probably not terribly fun. No, it, and the, I love the mean little faces the teddy bears have. It's great. It's just a super great cover. And... Uh, I actually, I, I remember seeing this at the time, and, like, I think, I don't know, I have some vague memory of, like, I've always liked Firehawk, I've mentioned before, of, like, seeing that cover and thinking she was the backup strip, because mm. of the way they did that inset, like that, yeah. and, like, I think I live, I think I even looked at this off the shelf, and I was like, oh, no, Firehawk in the, like, I wanted her as a solo thing or something like that, I seem to have some memory of that. You know, the irony is, the more I think about it, Firehawk's not actually in this comic, Lorraine Riley is. But Firehawk herself isn't. Rip off. <laughs> False advertising. Um, I love the little teddy bear hugging Firestorm around the neck because mm-hmm. he's got the like the glowing red eyes. He, yep. he's, uh, and then the, the unicorn that's flying, the Pegasus unicorn is adorable. This cover is a hoot. Now, one of the things that's really interesting about it is, you know, uh, Giordano inked it. And there's the inking is really, really heavy on this. So 
it helps to add to the menace, not Firestorm, but on the, on the animals, it helps to add to the menacing aspect of the creatures is that the inking's so heavy, and uh, it really contrasts well with the ridiculousness. And then Firestorm's word balloon, how it's all jaggedy and, and liney, that's fun. And again, uh, Firehawks just looks sexy as hell, but Giordano and Cannon did not know how to draw an ugly woman, so that uh, works well there. Very, very pleased with this cover. So, uh, as we get into this, folks, this is a Conway, uh, I'm sorry, Jerry Conway, Raphael Cannon, and Romeo Tengal, Adam Kubert, Carl Gafford, and Carla Conway joint. And uh, the issue is entitled Black Bison Rides Again. This is uh, 23 pages long, got uh, about eight distinct scenes, depending on how you cut it up. Now, Regarding that 10,000-foot level that my friend Rob mentioned a moment ago, and when I say friend, I don't really mean what you think that word means. Uh, this, there is no real 10,000-foot level this time. This is a setup issue because it's first part of a three-part story. So there's no 10,000-foot level, but there is a reoccurring theme throughout the story, which is uh, individuals or peoples or living beings being coerced to go against their beliefs or their nature. That does show up in this story about three different times. So, all right. When the story opens, we're in Central Park, and it's this cute little scene. Firestorm flies down to stop a runaway handsome cab. The horse is galloping through Central Park with two terrified passengers. Firestorm lands on the horse and then creates a giant bale of hay, which is actually plastic, to distract the horse and stop the horse. Sure enough, it works. And uh, what you get to, though, is the horse has never run off before. Something has either spooked the horse or something has happened, so the horse has gone, is acting against his nature, which is interesting. So, uh, and that kind of fits into our theme. So then we go to in another area of Central Park. It's late at night, and there's this mysterious woman, and she's visiting the Central Park Zoo at night, and this gang of toughs who are planning to take advantage of her show up. She is then revealed to be this raven-haired and, might I say, very sexy Native American woman wearing a white corset with a lot of fringe on it. She's got this Native American, like, white beaded headband. She's wearing a white loincloth. Then, uh, then that's covering a dark blue... Uh, there's a reason I'm describing all this. Uh, dark blue bikini briefs, fishnets, and high heels. So basically, it's like Native American hottie on top, black canary on the bottom. She makes quick work of the tufts, and then she actually shape changes into a giant bear. It, it looks to be kind of like a grizzly bear, but she's all white, and she gruesomely murders all the guys. Then she transforms back out of the hottie, and then she goes over and visits the seal's enclosure. She shape changes into a white seal herself, swims to the bottom of the man-made pond, and retrieves a familiar-looking talisman, a talisman that you, the reader, might remember from issue number two. The talisman features an image of a bison. She then shape changes back into the hottie and leaves. Next morning in Central Park, these cops investigate the murder. They find a beaded Indian necklace and immediately do some racial profiling. And remember, Black Bison was there uh, several months ago in Central Park. Then we cut to, to Bradley High School, where we find uh, our hero, Ronnie Raymond. He bumps into his girlfriend, or I should probably say ex-girlfriend at this point, Doreen Day. And they have a quick discussion about the relationship. And a couple issues ago, she saw Ronnie and Lorraine Riley walking together. She's hurt. She's upset. So uh, she storms off. I, I guess they're broken up. They don't say the words, but you kind of got to assume since he's two-timing her. Cliff Carmichael and Jefferson Jackson. Yeah, that's right. I said Jefferson Jackson, star of the upcoming Legends of Tomorrow. Isn't that right, Rob? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, they also dump on Ronnie for two-timing Doreen. And then uh, Ronnie's feeling pretty down in the dumps. He looks out the window, and he sees the police taking away one of his teachers, Mr. Ravenhair, who in issue number one and two was transformed into the Black Bison. Then the police station, uh, we, or I'm sorry, we cut to the police station, and 
Professor Ravenhair is being held there, and this strange man shows up claiming to be an attorney for the Minority Defense Union. He claims there's been racial profiling going on with Ravenhair. Quite honestly, he's absolutely correct. Anyway, the attorney and Ravenhair leave the police department where then the attorney actually shape changes and transforms. It turns out that there wasn't really an attorney at all. It was the hottie, the Native American hottie woman. She reveals herself to be called Silver Deer. She takes them to her apartment. Silver Deer tries to convince uh, Mr. Ravenhair that his true spirit is actually uh, his Indian heritage, his name of Black Morning and uh, Black Cloud and Morning or Black Bison, and that he's not really just some Anglo, Anglo I can't say this word Anglicized school teacher. You think I can't even read my own notes? So anyway, um, she's trying to convince him to become Black Bison again. She does some sexy dancing, gives a speech about being one with the animals. She's the daughter of the trickster, that kind of thing. He says no, so she does what any you know logical young woman would do. She drugs him. And transforms him into the black bison. Um, she actually changes his clothes while he's out. I like to think there was some sexy sex going on too, but they don't actually show it in the comic. That's probably just me. I love your sweet talk. <laughs> then we uh, time time for our subplot check in. So we get a subplot check in in Washington D.C. We check in with Senator Walter Riley, who is the father of Lorraine Riley, who is secretly Firehawk from the cover of the comic book. And he's meeting with this corrupt lobbyist named DeSalvo. He's trying to bribe Senator Riley. Riley has already been in trouble for what happened several issues ago where he was forced to uh, vote a certain way on a Senate bill because his daughter's life was being threatened. He was co you know, coerced, went against his nature to do that. Now Riley is refusing the lobbyist. He says, no, I'm not going to, because the lobbyist is trying to bribe him. I'm not going to let you bribe me. And uh, the lobbyist storms out threatening him. Meanwhile, this corrupt lobbyist is spotted leaving by some other folks, and they speculate if Riley's actually being coerced uh, again, and uh, maybe he's you know still corrupt. So, uh, and this contrasts really well with the Black Bison plot because you know they're because Silver Deer is trying to force uh, Ravenhair to do something that goes against his nature, and here uh, Riley is being forced to try and do something against his nature as well. We do one more subplot check-in. We check in with Professor Martin Stein. He's at Concordance Re uh, Research, the labs, and he's visiting with Belle Haney, who was a supporting character in the last two issues, the Bug and Bite story. She's the mom of Bug and Bite. So she asks um, Stein to come by. She's, she's absolutely distraught after the last issue. And it's because she does not want to reconcile the relationship with her ex-husband. And instead, uh, she ends up in the arm of the professor. And as they're smoochy-smooching, he vanishes because Ronnie triggers the transformation into Firestorm. So she realizes she's kissing empty air, and she's thinking maybe Stein was never there, and she thinks she's losing her mind. Turns out that Ronnie was calling for the, for the professor because he saw Ravenhair get arrested. So uh, we cut back to the apartment where Silver Deer and uh, Black Bison are. The cops burst into Silver Deer's apartment looking for Ravenhair. They find Black Bison. So immediately gets confrontational. Silver Deer continues to manipulate Black Bison and telling him to attack the cops. So Black Bison animates this giant stuffed alligator she just happened to have in her apartment because, you know, who doesn't keep that around? The alligator attacks the police. Firestorm's flying nearby searching for Ravenhair and hears the cops' guns being fired. So that attracts Firestorm. He flies in and saves the cops at the last second. And we get some fun transmogrifying. I always love it when he uses those powers. He transmogrifies the uh, stuffed alligator into banana fudge ripple ice cream. <laughs> That's so kooky. So Firestorm confronts Black Bison and Silver Deer. Silver Deer smash, I'm sorry, Black Bison smashes in a toy store window and he animates all of the cuddly stuffed animals. This is where we're going to recreate the cover here, folks. So all these stuffed animals come charging out. Silver Deer transforms into a cobra snake and bites Firestorm, injecting him with deadly venom. And then Silver Deer and Black Bison escape. They are set on 
as they say, freeing the Native American people from the bondage of the past 100 years. And they start heading for Washington, D.C. So with this venomous poison flowing through his veins, Firestorm is overwhelmed by the poison and this legion of evil, yet cute, stuffed animals. The last line of the book is uh, <laughs> Firestorm saying, Professor, I can't let us be smothered by teddy bears. It's so stupid. <laughs> That's it. That is the issue. What do you think, Rob? Oh, it's a it's a lot of fun. As I mentioned last month when we did the last issue, I love this art team, Kyanen and Romeo Tango. They're a great mix. I like Silver Deer. Uh, Ryan Daly has got to fold her into his Power of Fishnets podcast because she fits right in there. Oh, yeah. um, I, I think it's a great character. I like the 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 that one sequence of her and we're seeing the shadows of all the different characters she can turn into. Like she turns into the eagle, the bear, the bobcat. Like that's a nice effect. Um, it's a nice mix of, of funny and serious because obviously all the stuff with Black Bison is serious, but then all the you know, things the, the the ending is very silly with all the um, stuffed animals. If <laughs> if Jerry really wanted to go goofy, it would have been funny if instead of um, teddy bear, instead of uh, plush animals, uh, Black Bison reanimates like say superpowers figures, and then you could have had oh, like all the little Doctor Fates and Martian Manhunters attacking Firestorm. That would have been <laughs> awesome. I would have loved that. Um, have you noticed, though, in the third to last panel on the last page where the Black Bison is saying, let his death at our hands be a warning to those who will resist us, a warning and a prophecy? Yeah. That lettering is different than the rest of the book. The style of lettering is different. And it makes me think it got rewritten at some point. Now, it could be either that somebody in production just spilled coffee on the the original page, that that happens, or it was rewritten. I just noticed it jumps out at me that that lettering style is a little different than the rest of the book. You know, it's interesting. It's actually – it starts at the word two. Like, let his death at our hands be a warning is pretty much the same. Yeah, you know what? You're right. But, You're right. but to those who will resist us, a, a warning. warning and, yeah. and, and then a prophecy looks normal as well. It's almost like that part of the sentence wasn't going to fly. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Something Interesting. Happened. I didn't notice that. Yeah. And, I didn't, and I also didn't notice that cute squirrel stuffed animal. Yes. Uh, I like the opening. It, the, the, almost every issue of Firestorm is open this way, of them just of Firestorm just flying around and stopping some minor yeah. catastrophe. He, he, uh, well, I mean, Jerry is the master of a three-act story, mm-hmm. and he always puts some kind of action in Act 1. And, it, yes. it, even, it, and even if it's a throwaway thing, you know, it's, but in this case, there's still a little bit, I don't know whether they did intentionally, but the horse acting out of its nature as well. Well, I'd say if you don't know what's coming on page two, when the horse gets a thought balloon, you're like, <laughs> what am I reading? Because the horse is like plastic. And I'm like, the first time I read this comment, I'm like, wait, is, what's going on? <laughs> you, know, you know, but, uh, you know, no, yeah, it's enormous fun. It's enormous fun. Silver Deer's a cool character. I like this character a lot. It, she's visually compelling. It's interesting. Black Bison, not quite as much. Uh, but like, uh, and and I have to think. Um, I don't know. Somebody who shapeshifts is is you know that that's that's a trope that's been used a million times. So I don't necessarily think that Jerry is taking it from from anything necessarily. But there is the original 1940s cat women, uh, not cat women, um, cat people movie about a woman who turns into a cat and kills people. And she actually there is a scene of her in a zoo. Hmm. Uh, going after somebody now, right around the, only a couple of years before this, Cat People had been remade as sort of a kind of like almost a softcore horror film, like re- much more explicit than the '40s one. So I wonder if Jerry had that in his mind too, because th- this scene just sort of reminded me of that of of a woman, a sexy woman who gets sort of assaulted, and then she, you know, she's obviously not as helpless as you would be led to believe. 
Well, it, it could be. I mean, Jerry was loved throwing pop culture in there. I mean, and he's he actually, a big movie guy. You give all yeah. of his references. He's a movie. In fact, guy. I think there's one in here when the when the handsome cab guy mentions that Firestorm's no Lone Ranger. Well, right. the Lone Ranger remake had just come out a year or two before this. Yes, that I, horrible, horrible <laughs> Lone Ranger movie. As a kid, I didn't know that. I loved it as a kid, but so I don't know. It, it could very well be that Jerry loves, you know, like you said, pop culture and stuff like that. And now there's also the thought, you know, the Native American thing. She says she's the daughter of the trickster, and the whole idea of Native American shape changing right, isn't anything right. new. I mean, if right. anyone watches yeah, Spider Man yeah. and his Amazing Friends, everyone remembers Thunderbird transforming into a bear for no apparent reason. So, do you remember that? I I'm sure I saw it. I watched yeah. every episode of that show. Yeah, there's an X Men episode, and Thunderbird transforms into a bear, and everyone who's watching goes, "What the hell? Where did that come? He doesn't have that power." <laughs> they said hell in a cartoon. That's no, crazy. I mean all the kids in the audience. <laughs> watching, I'm sorry. Anyway, so it, it could have been come from anywhere, but. Boy, you said Silver Deer is a compelling character. Yeah, she is. She is like, you know, I I I set a scale a while back because David Gutierrez just couldn't handle the um, the the wishy washiness of it. So there's a scale of you know hot, super hot, smoking hot, and scorching hot. She's right at smoking hot, and she's tipping towards scorching hot. I mean, she's, woof, man, Kanan and Tengal know how to draw a pretty lady. They're a now, good combo. They're a real good art combo. About her costume, though. Okay, so the the top, all the Indian gear, got it. The bl- the blue bikini bottom with the fishnets and the heels. I mean, she's literally got Black Canary's bottom half. I don't quite. Other than that, it's great. Thank you. I love it. It's sexy as hell. I'm not sure where where that's coming from. I don't know. Think that's authentic Indian garb. I'm not sure. No, probably not. But probably you know. not. I also liked in the beginning. There's there's some other gags too, where Firestorm gets called Firestar. And this is after mm-hmm. Spider-Man and his amazing friends have started. He also gets called Fire Hair, which was a character from Who's Who, a Western character. That's, if you right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So there's a lot of fun in there. I, I was a little apprehensive going into this issue, actually, because I recall the first two years of Fury of Firestorm are great. Then, and I haven't read ahead, so it's been a number of years since I've read these. And I, I remember year four has a few duds in it. I couldn't remember how year three shakes out. So I was a little worried about what the quality would be. So this is the first issue of year year three, mm-hmm. and boy, it starts off strong. So I'm I'm really looking forward to this. I hope the rest of the storyline holds up. I honestly can't remember anything about the next two issues at all, uh, other than I know that it's Silver Deers throughout both of them. So now at the end of those, so okay, you get 25, which is this one. You get 26, 27, which is the Silver Deer story, and then we get to issue number 28. You know why 28 is important, right? Uh, no. Is that your first Firestorm? Well, it is my first Firestorm, which means it's the introduction of who? Wow, that's I a long know. pause. I don't know. It's the introduction of Slipknot. Oh, the, of course. Slipknot, the patron saint of the Fire and Water podcast. He's <laughs> only two and a half months away, buddy. I can't wait. I'm so excited. He didn't first appear in some sort of prestige format book? Uh, well, I mean, if you call the Bible, you know. Like Frank Miller's Slipknot. <laughs> Now, there's a couple other, because, you know, I, I nitpick everything. On page six, when she turns into a seal and jumps into the water, and I wish I was in there with her, um, not as a oh, seal, but my um, in the dialogue boxes, they say, down into the murky darkness, the silver star dives. I wonder if they were originally planning to call her Silver Star at this point, and they didn't realize there was already a character, you know, really old character with that name. And so they changed it to Silver Deer and just didn't catch it here. Hmm. I may be looking too deep, but it jumped out at me like, why did they call her Silver Star? I don't get that. Hmm. 
Um, what else? On page 16, when she drugs uh, Ravenhair, and hopefully they have all the sexy sex, when she drugs him, there's a, there's a gorgeous panel on page 16 where it, it sees him. He's, there's like a snake there. There's a wolf. There's an eagle. There's a, another eagle, which is all in crazy colors. I don't know if you remember that panel or not. It's it's a really gorgeously drawn panel. It's a gorgeously colored panel. Yeah, it's nice, really powerful. Nice montage of, yeah. of elements. Yeah, It's really well done. And it's interesting, on the bottom right-hand corner of that panel, it kind of looks like the Elemental Firestorm down there, too, which is not absolutely what it is at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things about Black Bison that's always stuck in my craw, and I think I mentioned this last time with, um, when we did issues one and two of Black Bison, like, I totally get the idea of him animating you know, corpses of, of animals, like a taxidermied animal. I get that. That makes perfect sense with his power, with the Indian Native American thing. I don't, I can't get on board with him having the ability to animate anything. Like he animated Alice in Wonderland statues in issue number two. Right, 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 right. Here he's animating stuffed animals. Like, it's just, it's too hokey for me. I just can't get on board with it. I, it's, it's fun though. It's a fun gag. It really is. But it's just—it's a little too crazy pants for me. It's—it uh, doesn't feel authentic to what his powers should be. I don't know. So, all right. You mentioned he should have animated superpowers action figures. That would have been actually really, really fitting because what is also advertised in this comic book is the first issue of the superpowers miniseries. So this actually—that's the other book that I secretly couldn't mention on my top five. Ah, okay. List of five. Superpowers number one of the first miniseries hit the shelves this same month. So having him animate the first wave of Superpowers action figures would have been pretty funny. Maybe a little too meta, but it would have been fun. I I mean, in in an issue where you know Jerry's clearly going for laughs, I I don't think it would have been too meta. I think it would have been really really funny to watch. You know, all those characters come alive. It's like Golden Pharaoh and. Cyclotron. Well, none of them were around yet. Well, that's but, true. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Now, Blue Devil did do an issue like I'm that. I'm being where, attacked uh, by Wave 2! Ah! <laughs> Blue Devil had an issue where he got attacked by uh, Blue Devil action figures. So that was nice. Oh, and really? Wave, okay. Yeah, Wave 4, baby. Represent. <laughs> now, in the letter column, a couple things worth mentioning here. There's a, a, a shout-out box talking about the Firestorm graphic novel. Now, they've, they've dropped hints about this in the letters page for a while. It's called Corona, and it was supposed to be done by Conway and Broderick. And it just vanished, folks. It never materialized. But at this point, Jerry's saying it's coming out in May, which would be, I think, one month. I assume he means May of the same year, which means one month from when this came out. But it never materialized. Supposedly, some of the story got reused for one of the annuals, but no one knows. I, I've asked Jerry and Pat themselves recently. I got nothing out of them, basically. Um, <laughs> well, it, it's 30 years ago. You know, Pat, Pat said it was going to be glorious, and Jerry's like, honestly, he doesn't remember it that well because it's been 30 years and it never got produced. So, and, uh, you know, so it's kind of lost to the ages. One of these days I'm going to collect all the little notes about this graphic novel and do a post on it and put it all together as, as much as possible because I find it fascinating. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's uh, the, the 70s Aquaman comic in the letters page. They mentioned an Aquaman annual that was never published. Oh, wow. And I'm, and I'm always like, what? what? You know, what happened to that story? And because that book got canceled so abruptly. Yeah. I have to think that material is still exists, but but much like you with Jerry, uh, Paul Kupperberg, who was writing Aquaman Times, just, just does not remember. Yeah, so. I mean, it's, 30 years ago, I mean, like, I can't remember what I did at my job a year ago. Yeah. Forget it. 30 years? No way! Yeah, so, yeah. We think of these comics as eternal objects because we've read them and read them and read them. These guys, they're, they're, I mean, they were passionate about it, but it's their paycheck, guys. It's how they're keeping the lights on in the house. So. I have to remember this stuff because some nerd is going to want to document it three <laughs> decades from now. 
Could you imagine if someone wanted to do a documentary about your job 30 years from now? That would be the most sad documentary. <laughs> I think mine would be the most boring documentary. So, last thing worth mentioning in this comic, um, I, I sent it, I sent, Rob has, anyway, um, it is from the Meanwhile column. The Meanwhile column is Dick Giordano's column he would publish every once in a while, and it would talk about stuff going on. And here, they're introducing new staff to the DC universe, uh, to, the, to the DC reading public. And while this person isn't necessarily important to Firestorm or Aquaman, they play a big role in who's who, didn't they, Rob? That is Miss Brenda Pope. Woo! Hot damn. She actually gets to write her own little copy. She writes like, two, uh, what is this, like three or four paragraphs about who she is, how she got into doing uh, freelance copy editing and things like that. And uh, she, she says, I have Nelson, E. Nelson Bridwell to thank for teaching me the ropes, uh, the proofreading ropes. Now, six months later, I'm into it, or judging by the pile of unproved original art stacked on my deck, I'm under it. And then there's a great bit where Dick Giorgiano says, uh, Brenda proofreads all of our comics, uh, average 40 a month. All the, da, 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 da. And he goes, as a matter of fact, if, she, if she's on the job, she just corrected proofreads above to one word. <laughs> Dick gave her a test. So that is Firestorm, Nuclear Man, Fire, Fury of Firestorm, Nuclear Man number 25, and I loved it. Good stuff. I should also mention before we get off this on that Meanwhile column, they also yeah. mention Nick Cootie, who was a writer for Charlton Comics, who I've interviewed for my Digest comics set. Oh, really? Yeah, That's cool. Because he was a Digest editor. And he oh, was very con- cool. He was kind enough to uh, do an interview with me. So very nice guy, Nick Cootie. Anyway. Awesome. Yeah, good comic. It was lo- fun stuff. And like I said, I love the art team of Kanan and Tango. They're a good good combo. Did I mention the Silver Deer is smoking hot? Did that, did that come across? I'm not sure if I really conveyed that enough. All right. So uh, also <laughs> we need to catch up uh, with Aquaman because we are now actually in the time it took the last couple of months to do these review, issue, review episodes. Two uh, issues of Aquaman have come out, 45 and what? No, I'm just saying whoops on oh, our part. Oh, okay. 45 and 46. We decided not to do two Firestorms. We're going to be off schedule a little. Okay. Now, Aquaman 45 is Alien Discovery by Cullen Bunn, Trevor McCarthy, John Dell, Art Tiber, Vincente Cifuentes, Guy Major, and like 19 other people. Aquaman 46 is Amazon and the Amazon by Cullen Bunn, Vicente Cifuentes, John Dell, John Livesay, Mark Baring, Guy Major, and a bunch of other people. Now, I read both these comics. Good. Because it's my job. Yep. And uh, I tried very hard to remember what the hell I read two seconds after I finished them. And I tried very hard to write summaries uh, for the show. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. These, uh, I don't know whether it's because, by my own admission, I have sort of checked out on this storyline, as has, I think, Colin Bunn, uh, that I just am no longer tolerant of this storyline, and I'm being harsher on it than it really deserves to be, or these two are just really lame comics, because I just felt like the stories presented in 45 is Aquaman, who has beamed himself to another uh, dimension because he wanted to escape Siren. And in 46, he encounters Wonder Woman. I feel like you could have told what happens in these two issues in maybe five pages of one issue. Um, Bob Haney could have cracked this out in two pages. And uh, I'm going to interject for just a second because I, I, on that specific note, I actually came up with six pages. Okay. I said you could have done three pages on the alien planet, two pages with Wonder Woman, and one page to the cliffhanger. 
there, there, you're not, folks. Rob's dead on. There are there are six pages of story across these two comics. Yeah, there's just nothing here. I mean, Wonder Woman and Aquaman are just talking, 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 and I just kind of, I just threw my hands up. And you know, a uh, one of the nuclear nuclear subs, Mike Gillis, very wise man, said life is too short to be, you know, forcing yourself to talk about or write about stuff that you don't like. And he's right. And, you know, last week's episode that we did uh, on the Metamorpho Bob Heaney comics, I really loved doing the episode. That was super fun because you, you and I were really, really into it. First and issue special. The first issue special. And I really don't like our review shows lately because I just don't have anything much to say about these comics. So guess what? I'm not going to do it. <laughs> well, I have a word or two to say. Go right ahead because I, I have something else that I want to talk about. So you go right ahead. Oh, you do? Okay, perfect. Okay, great. Um, first thing I want to point out is – it really, uh, Rob's right. It, 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 you said Wonder Woman and Aquaman talk and talk and talk, but they don't talk about anything. It's. It, I think you're right. I think Cullen Bunn has. He by he said earlier he felt like he didn't think the comic could be salvaged. I th- I think by this point he had checked out when he wrote these issues. He absolutely did because there's nothing here, guys. The first issue is literally Aquaman waking up, walking around an alien landscape, figuring something out, and that's it. And I, when I said you could have done it three pages, that's giving you room to breathe. That's not even like a really compressed story. And the second one with Wonder Woman, the the redeeming value there is Wonder Woman smoking hot. I, I actually really like the artwork on the second issue because it's a lot more DC house style than the Trevor McCarthy style in the first one. So I enjoy that. But it's not that good. And then one of our nuclear subs, I'm going to say his name wrong. And, dude, I am so sorry. Um, Moise there you Gavin go. Dupont. There you go, Rob. Well done. So he he wrote in about the issues, and he was asking if there was a goof or something here, because what he pointed out was something I didn't even notice. He said that it was so jarring that the end of issue 45, Aquaman was in space, and then in the next issue, issue 46, he's back in the Amazon with Wonder Woman, and there's absolutely no mention of how he got back to Earth. I didn't even pick up on that, and I read the two comics back to back. and I think it's my own disinterest. So, um, I think that with the lack of story, the lack of content, and the lack of moving the story forward, honestly, I, I feel like it's unfair DC to charge people. What was it? Three ninety nine an issue? Two ninety nine an issue? What is it? Three, three ninety nine. So they paid eight dollars for almost for six pages of story, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm really bothered by that. And I hate to sound so negative because that's one of the tent poles of this show is to be positive, which is where Rob's going to take us in just a second. So, oh yeah. I think it's disappointing, and um, again, I, what you walk away from this is that Wonder Woman's hot. That's about all you get. So, and she's not Rob, even in her normal costume. She's in that hideous well, battle armor crap. That. Oh, wait doing. a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! You can't! You can't do that because that's her costume right now. Uh, please! Oh, for the month! Come on, dude! But hold on! I think you're being unfair there because she is in her appropriate costume for what it looks like in December 2015. So I'm okay with that. I, I'm not a fan of it, but it is the right costume for her to be in. So, all right, whatever. Let's do something fun. Yeah, let's do something. So anyway, I decided to, uh, as I mentioned on last week's show, that I have fallen in love with first issue special because I've read three issues of first issue special, and I've, they are all winners. So I decided to go out and get all the other issues of first issue special. I went to eBay and I bought a lot of. I bought the entire run of first issue special. Um, I, it was funny. I was deciding which complete lot of first issue special to buy. Mm-hmm. And then I saw one of them was on sale from Paul Kupperberg. So I bought his. No way. So I have his copies of first issue special. 
Oh, that's fantastic. He sells. He said he has like a bajillion comics, and he sells them on eBay. So I bought his, and I even sent him a note. I said, "Paul, you're selling dingbacks of Danger Street for, for shame." But the <laughs> well, first... I mean, but with that metamorpho comic in there, and the the Doctor Fate one yes. in there. I mean, that's yes. I, I'm not gonna. I don't want. I'm not asking you to divulge how much you spent, but I mean, that's someone could probably charge a decent amount of money if nothing else, because that Doctor Fate one's in there. They're really beat up. They're just good reading copies. Okay. But the, yeah, in terms of your entertainment value, I totally underpaid. But anyway, the first one I read, and this uh, is first issue special number four, <laughs> Lady Cop. That's right. Uh, by Bob Kaniger, John Rosenberger, and Vince Coletta. This is the greatest comic book ever published. Now, it, wait a minute. Crazy, wait, hold on. Many people are going to say, Rob, didn't you say that about Justice League of America number 200? Yes, I did. Justice League of America number 200 is the greatest piece of literature ever produced by Western civilization. It transcends the comic book genre. Lady Cop isn't that good. It is merely the greatest comic book ever produced. Forget about Mouse. Forget about Watchmen. Forget about Cerebus. Forget about any Will Eisner contract with God. I don't care about all that crap. Lady Cop is the greatest. The comic books reached their apotheosis in July of 1975 with Lady Cop. You have gone off the rails, my I, friend, but I'm, this, I'm going with you, though. Once I I'm do going. this recap, no one is going to argue with me. Okay. Anyway, the story opens with a woman under a bed as she's watching her girlfriends be murdered. <sighs> Fantastic. By a guy in these really kicking boots with these skull and crossbones on it. After he murders uh, this woman's two roommates, he leaves his calling card, the Ace of Spades. I think he's one of the Royal Flush Gang, but we'll never really know about that. Anyway, later on, the cops arrive. They, uh, and they talk to this woman. Her name is Liz Warner. And they're asking her what happened. And she says, oh, this is what I saw. I saw the man with the boots, with the skull. And uh, she's able to recall everything perfectly. A, one, a, um, a female officer says, you were born. You've got the camera eye of a born police officer, Miss Warner. And so they, she, she suggests maybe you should become a cop. So later that night, Liz goes to sleep, and all she can dream about is the guy with the really cool boots. And she realizes that basically she can't think of anything else until she helps bring this guy to justice. So she joins the police force. We see her taking uh, firearms training. She does some judo. She takes some tests. She's really good at everything. Think of uh, sort of Simon Pegg and Hot Fuzz. Like, she's just good at everything. So then we shoot to the graduation ceremony. They're all about to graduate with honors when a guy comes running into the park holding a grenade. He says, lies, lies, you ruined me when you flunked me out of the academy for being unfit. I'll show you how, unf- how fit I am. And he throws a grenade into the air. Uh, Lady Cobb grabs it, throws it into a nearby trash barrel where it harmlessly explodes. And then it is revealed that the whole thing was just a test for Miss Warner. And he says, welcome to the force. Her chief says, welcome to the force. Well done, Officer Warner. So she's officially now a member of the NYPD. Then we get to the actual meat of the story. Again, that was more than took place in two issues of Aquaman, what I just explained oh, right there. Oh, yeah. There. Okay. Oh, it's about to get faster paced than that. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to try and go this super fast. Not, we're at a 2,000-foot level here. So the story actually is called Poisoned Love, even though it's the other parts, the story too. I don't know why. But anyway, this part is called Poisoned Love. It takes place on a rooftop. Uh, the lady cop all slash Officer Warner is stopping a rape in progress. She pushes this guy off. He's like a real goon. Uh, the woman gets away. Meanwhile, the goon grabs her, and the goon's friend grabs her from behind, and they try and rape her, which is am- amazing. The one guy says, watch me heat up the fuzz, and he starts forcing himself on her. She says, my temperature's below freezing, and kicks the guy in the nards, <laughs> which you get to see. Which is fantastic. She says, I don't dig gorillas either. She subdues both of them. She beats them both up. 
She beats mm-hmm. both these guys up. She takes them off to jail. As they get hell from the squad car, she realizes she wants to go and find this woman that she saw on the rooftop to make sure that she's okay. So she goes back on the beat. She decides to make friends with a young uh, little girl. She buys her an ice cream cone to show her that, hey, cops are, you know, the friends to the, to the, to the citizenry. She meets um, a, um, a Hispanic woman who says that, hombre, you arrested, señorita, muy malo, cuidado. So anyway, it's a warning. She was saying that man you arrested, he's really a lot of trouble. So we then see from a rooftop that there's a third member of the gang, a chain-wielding guy, and he's watching Lady Cop, and he's planning on getting his revenge. Lady Cop stumbles upon the woman that she saw earlier on a payphone. She's talking to her boyfriend, and she finds out over the phone that she has VD. (laughs) She got it from her boyfriend, Eddie. She says, you have VD? Then I must have it too. What do I do? My father will kill me. She runs away. Lady Cop tries to catch her, but she's interrupted by a um, a holdup in progress where a, a guy steals some stuff out of a fruit stand. Lady Cop tries to stop. The guy pulls a knife. She manages to subdue him by socking him in the jaw and knocking him into a lamppost, which is amazing. The uh, fruit seller guy gets stabbed. She um, brings him back to not brings him back to life, but gives him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. He gets taken off in an ambulance. He's going to be fine. She goes, Wait, Can what? I interrupt for a second? Sure, go ahead. This is when I realized... Holy crap. This is page eight. This is, yes, we're on page eight. We got a long now, way to go here. Okay. It, to be fair, the introduction uh, was a separate. I, I did just notice that they renumbered the pages. The introduction, where it's the graduation ceremony, goes to page five, and then it starts over at page one. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Okay. Yeah, All so, right. Well, then we're a little further ahead than we think. Anyway. But it's just amazing that, like, just by page eight, of uh, even this part, ignore the graduation thing, of page eight, she has done more in this eight pages than most comics do in a year. She's Lady Cop. <laughs> so it's at the end of her first day, uh, she meets up with her boyfriend, and there's some two sexist pigs cops, and one of them uh, sees Lady Cop and her boyfriend, and he says, one of them says, here's where the cop becomes a lady. So <laughs> Lady Cop and her boyfriend embrace, they kiss, they go to the beach, and uh, her boyfriend, uh, Hal, is a real jerk, and he basically says, I don't want a girlfriend who works. And she's like, well, the, you know, it's my life here. And we see how obsessed she is with finding the roommate's killer is that they start making out on the beach. And all she can think about is catching the roommate's killer. She's not even thinking of Hal and everything else that's going on. So three days later, Lady Cop is back on the beat. She finds the woman who has the VD who's wandering around on the docks. So she says, I overheard the bad news you got on the street phone. I love that street phone. It's a good thing I found you in time. And the woman says, it's too late. My boyfriend said he, he got VD, and he's probably infected me with it. And Lady Cop's response is... VD's deceptive. Girls may not have symptoms, but it's a secret destroyer, poisoning you like an underground river. It can cause blindness, insanity, death, if not arrested in time. So with that wonderful piece of advice <laughs> from Lady Cop... The woman realizes she feels is a little more – she doesn't feel quite as bad. She realizes that she has to tell her father, which is very, very scary because her father is very old-fashioned. Lady Cop agrees to come with her. Um, the father shows up. He's a construction worker. He's got the coolest construction helmet. He looks like the Guardian, that helmet that he's wearing. He doesn't look like a construction <laughs> helmet. So anyway, he finds out that his daughter has VD. He's ready to slap his daughter around, call – you know, he's – Kind of a horror you. Lady Cop gets in the middle. The guy punches Lady Cop in the face. Mm-hmm. He punches her right in the face. He doesn't even knock her hat off, so he didn't even hit her that he hard. Knocks, he knocks her hair down, though. He does knock her hair down. Uh, 
Lady Cop says, Nina, Lady Cop does not even stop. She says, Nina isn't an animal to be whipped. She's the flesh and blood of your wife, too. What would your wife do if she were here? Would she drive her own daughter away? That brings the construction worker to tears. He apologizes. He hugs his daughter. He apologizes to the Lady Cop for striking her. He says, gracias. She, Lady Cop says, take her to the doctor. He will know what to do. It will be all right. The fire inside her will be put out. <laughs> Dad and daughter walk away. Lady Cop goes back on the beat. The guy with the chain gets the drop on her, attacks her, chases her. But Lady Cop flips the guy into the water, and he lands in the Hudson River, which in the 1970s was, like, super polluted. He starts drowning. They call a police boat. They drag him onto the boat, and they arrest him. And that issue ends on the next day with Lady Cop wondering if she'll ever find the killer in boots. (laughs) And that is the end of Lady Cop. This is the greatest comic book ever produced. It, it is an insane roller coaster. I mean, the amount of crap she did after becoming a police officer in just one day between, you know, the guys in the roof, stopping the rape, almost getting raped herself, knocking the, the, the guy who robbed the grocery out, doing the mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, helping the VD girl. Holy crap! Yeah. Unbelievable. It's... This is a, it's like, I would say roller coaster, but it's more like, it's like a rocket and you're just desperately trying to hang on to it. I'm Bucky and this comic is the rocket flying away and I'm desperately trying to hold on. I mean, it's that crazy. Yeah. Now I have a a couple of thoughts on this book. Obviously. I have a few. First of all, um, we never saw Lady Cop again. Sort of. I'll get to that in a second. But we, they, the, the story of Lady Cop and her killer in boots is, is, as far as I know, never solved. The character of Liz Warner does reappear in Gail what? Simone's Adam book, <gasps> which is the book I recommended. She surfaces 30 years later as the police chief of Ivytown. Oh, my God. So, obviously, her career... Uh, in uh, the police force was a successful one because she rang, rose through the ranks to police chief. So there you go. Now I've not read those Adam comics, okay. so I, I don't know if Gail Simone like get like does a throwaway mention to the storyline of the killer in boots. I have no idea, but I want to read those comics out just in case she does because I think that's awesome that Lady Cop shows up again in an Adam comic in two thousand six. I don't remember exactly what that character or anything like that from the comics, but I do remember that Ivy Town is freaking crazy. The weirdest crap happens there, and it's sort of fitting that this comic is so bizarre, you know, as it goes as well. Now, I mean, it's clear that this comic was meant to be reflective of the 70s copters at the time. You know, I mean, this is uh, this is right out of every show of McLeod and Beretta and Banachek and just uh, the Rockford Files. It's just you can practically hear the Mike Post theme playing in the background. I mean, this is just yeah, exactly. I mean, this is right out of now. Sadly, or you could say maybe not. I mean, it's written by Bob Kaniger, who at this point was kind of an old guy. So. He's writing, I think, what he thinks is like a feminist screed, but he's also kind of being sexist at the same time, but he doesn't mean to be. I mean, if you really look at this, like, Lady Cop is enormously, like, resourceful and powerful. She knocks guys out with just her fist. She doesn't have superpowers. This is not a superhero comic. Right. She's pounding guys into the pavement. I mean, it's like, I honestly really think that if they had done more with Lady Cop, they might have really had something. Now, obviously, <laughs> obviously, sales didn't go anywhere because the whole point of her sister's special 
was to just do a first issue and I guess see if it sold. And if it did, then they moved, you know, moved on. Like Warlord, Warlord obviously sold really well, and he got Warlord. a series. Warlord's the only one that's. Warlord's the only one. So obviously, the rest of these concepts, Ding Bats of Danger Street, the Outsiders, um, uh, the, the the Green Team. Uh, all you know, the, obviously not even Doctor Fate. Sadly, none of them really caught on to become series. But I honestly—I'm not being sarcastic. I honestly think Lady Cop could have really been something if they had maybe handed it off. The like, art pretty dull. John Rosenberger—I'm not f- too familiar with him. He was no. a guy. It's, eh, him and Vince Coletta. It's kind of dull stuff. I think if they had had somebody with a little more style. But all right, hold on. I'm going to argue with you. But it looks like a romance comic. It does look I like a romance comic. The art is very yeah. It, it's a great looking. It's a great looking romance comic. With the action's done well. The cover is very great beautiful. Too, There's the some cover. pages where I'm thinking, dude, she's hot. Well, I know, um, of course. You know, I, it. I liked it. I was the very. The cover I by Rosenberg and Giordano is fantastic. The cover is great. It's the guy's whipping a chain over Lady Cop's head. Yeah. She, it's it's. I, I said. I obviously were being sarcastic in a lot of ways that this is so goofy that it's funny. It's like Bob Haney, but I honestly think like. Had they tweaked this a little bit, this really could have been something different and interesting. And they were trying – and again, give DC all the credit in the world for trying something so unique. Uh, I mean this Lady Cop just does not exist like any other comic at the time. And I just love it. Now, I only thing I want to mention, the opening scene but with the murder. Unfortunately, there were probably a lot of true life events that Kaniger pulled pulled from to, to, to get this particular hook. Uh, I'm going to assume that he is uh, sort of referencing or using as reference the Richard Speck murders where he um, – that guy uh, kidnapped or terrorized nine women and he left one of – he killed eight of them and left one of them alive simply because he miscounted. Ugh. And the one who survived watched everything from under this bed or something. And this would, that's what this feels like to me is like that's his rever- – I mean that had happened in the late 60s. This is 1975. So Kaniger this would have been fresh in, in, in his mind. That's what immediately jumped out at me. I mean romance comics were on their way out by this point. Um, they weren't totally gone. DC was the last company to – the last of – between DC and Marvel to give up the ghost on them. But it has a little bit of that romance feel but while throwing in this adventure stuff. So, like I said, I just love the crap out of this comic. And this is now the fourth issue, a first issue special, that I love unreservedly. <laughs> I, can, I really cannot wait to read the rest of them because I'm like, just even if they're half as good, this is the greatest series DC's ever published. We're doing dingbats next. We okay. got to do got No, I want to do them all. I want to do okay. them all. Yeah. Uh, you touched on the 70s aspect. I mean, I, I'm a big, big, big fan of the, sh- of the show Chips. It's a ridiculous <laughs> show. It absolutely is. But this, you know, this has that same sort of like action, breakneck action, you know, larger than life kind of fights and a regular human being the action star. And it works really, really well. Now, didn't I don't remember my my Wonder Woman history as well. Didn't Kanika write Wonder Woman? Yes, he well? did. Yes, he did. Okay. So he's got experience drawing a powerful woman character. Maybe that helped him really flesh it out and make her such a strong character right out of the gate. He introduced Wonder Tot. <laughs> Because it's, you know, you said it earlier too. It's, it is, it is an incredibly sexist comic. It really, really is. But at the same time, it's obvious he's trying. He's but, really, but, really making an effort. I mean, he's writing it from an old guy's point of view, and he's writing her through the eyes of a lot of these sexist characters. But in terms of, in terms of a character, Liz Warner is incredibly capable. 
Yep. I mean, she solves a number of crimes. She beats the crap out of goons. Like, she's, she's you know, no joke, a really good female character. And you think about how much they crammed into one book, how much stuff happens. It is just unbelievable. I get anybody... You can't get this. It's not these. This book has never been collected because there's never going to be a first issue special collection. So, uh, and it's too odd lot to be thrown in anywhere else. Although it would have yeah. been cool if they had thrown it in the Adam trade paperback. That would have been that would really have been cool. nice. Yeah. But pick this up. I got this basically. If you break down how much I paid for all twelve issues, I got this for less than a dollar. There you go. Nice. You cannot beat it. You cannot. This is so much fun. I just like I said, as you can tell by my excitement. Lady Cop, I am all about the Lady Cop. Give me more Lady Cop. <laughs> we had a good time on Facebook, too. Rob's been posting panels from Lady Cop for the last couple uh, days. You, the it, only thing better than Lady Cop the comic is Lady Cop panels out of context. I mean, there's some great stuff that people have posted about. Uh, just never mind. Just go out and read it on Rob's Facebook. Always account. remember, it's, a clear conscience is the softest pillow. Well, not just that, but people's follow-up comments. Like, you know, Harlan mentioned, uh, you know, when, when she teamed up with Dame Cop from Earth 2. It's just <laughs> mean, crazy stuff. Everyone had a blast with it. So Love it. All right, folks. Uh, that was a hell of a lot of fun. Rob, thank you for bringing something fun to the table. We needed that. That was perfect. I love it. So, folks, it. we're, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to play a couple of podcast promos. And when we come back, we're going to hear your feedback from uh, Fire & Water episode number 145, last month's review episode. So we'll see you on the other side. Sawate. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. The goal of Backroll to Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Backroll and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spotlight, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history, and determines whether they are hot or not, Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their Backroll Year One work, Brian Q. Miller on his Backroll run, Dwayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the Backroll Spoiled, the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. Yo, Joe! We'll fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe is American hero. G.I. Joe is there. It's G.I. Joe against Cobra and Destro fighting to save the day. He never gives up. He's always there fighting for freedom over land and air. G.I. Joe American hero. G.I. Joe is there. 
Attention, Joes. This is General Hawk. I have an important mission for you. I need you to listen to G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. It's a monthly podcast where Aaron Moss, Codename Head, and two other Joes, Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning, will be reporting on the comic book G.I. Joe, a real American hero. Previously published by Marvel, currently being published by IDW Comics. We'll also cover the special missions, the yearbooks, order battles, etc. To hear their message, report to gijoe.headspeaks.com or iTunes or Stitcher Radio. You can get further information at Facebook, Google Plus, and Twitter. All under G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. Dismissed. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, is a proud member of the headcast family. The world never gives up. He'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe. All right, folks, we're back from break, and now it's time for... Listener's Feedback! And we're going to run through a bunch of feedback from you folks from a lot of different places. You guys are all over the social medias. Remember, folks, while you're out on the social medias, please use the hashtag PoundFWPodcast. That will make it easier for us to find your comments and include them in the show. And um, also your other fellow matchheads and nuclear subs and aquanauts will find your comments. So, first off, a couple of iTunes reviews. And I want to point out, we are up to 96 iTunes reviews, which when you compare us to, like, I don't know, Kevin Smith stuff, that's nothing. But, you know, a lot of other podcasts don't have very many. And Mm -hmm. I am deeply appreciative of the 96 people that have gone in and reviewed the show. I can't tell you how much that means to me. And right now I'm looking for four more people, please. Because I really want to break 100. It's just like a stupid little goal, and I promise you next I'll be after 200. But right now I want to break 100. So four of you, yeah, I'm talking to you. If you haven't written a review, I would love it if you pop out there and drop us a review on iTunes. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, we get, one of the reviews is from Justin Barlow, who does the Shout at the Devil podcast, which is about Blue Devil, of course. Firestorm, who? Kidding! I love the nuclear man. Learn how to say nuclear yet, Jack? No. <laughs> and that guy who talks to fish. I've been listening for probably two and a half, two plus years now, and it's definitely a fun podcast. Great intro music, and Rob Kelly is a wonderful podcaster. Shag, well, he tries. That's, yeah. that's what's, I love that this is enshrined on iTunes. That's what's important. Every time I encounter a member of the FW community online, it's incredibly pleasant. He probably never talked to um, Ryan Daly. And the fact that these two have gotten <laughs> such a high quality of listeners should say something about their podcast. If you're a comic book fan, check out this show. You probably won't regret it. I love how snarky our listeners are. I like how he manages expectations for everybody. It's good. <laughs> now, you mentioned you probably hasn't talked to Ryan Daly. Ironically enough, he's actually been on an episode of Secret Origins talking yes, about Blue Devil. I know he has. <laughs> uh, we got another one from, uh, how do you say that? But Grimmore, maybe? The Grimmore? Grimmore. Okay. I bet the P is silent. Okay. Like you know. Uh, it's another iTunes review. Thank you so much for that. He says some nice things about how it's a wonderful show and it's fun to listen to and about fun characters. Thank you for that. We really appreciate that. We got a comment from Earth to Chris, of course, from the Supermates podcast and our own Power Record show. Well, it's fair to say we've moved away from iTunes reviews. Yes, so. yes, yes, yeah. This is this is about the last review show that we did. This that's yep. what we're doing, following up on that feedback. Uh, he says, uh, so, Shag, what you're saying is Siren may have a bun in her oven. Oh! 
Why did I highlight that? I should not have read that. Man, that would suck if Bun is off the book and leaves the next writer with that unwanted kid. Shades of Superman Returns. I can only hope whoever comes on the book, Jeff Johns, ignores as much of this direction as possible and course corrects back to a similar take that Johns had. I think that's probably a good chance. Uh, you know the one that actually made DC money? This Firestorm sounds like a lot of fun. Firehawk could have really pepped up the JLD, and yes, it would have been interesting to see how Ronnie reacted to her being on a team that he couldn't because Stein had to be so damn practical about committing to a team you have to live with, be on call, etc. Nice stinger with Murphy Anderson. Where did that come from? Uh, yeah, I got lucky. I found a, like, a, like a 90s documentary about Comic-Cons, and it was uh, interviews with pros old and new, and it just happened to have a clip of Murphy Anderson talking about the Atomic Knights. And I was like, that's the perfect clip to run for the tribute. So thank you, anonymous YouTuber who posted that. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, heard from our buddy Zoom Yukinori from uh, over at CBR. He, he's a contributor to the line of his drawn. And he has his own blog, which is zoom-yukinori.blogspot.com. And he says, even, with the, even without the result of a baby, again, this is talking about Aquaman and Siren, if, if, I, if she didn't get, did in fact get pregnant, even without the result of a baby, the uh, act itself might cause some dramatic tension when Mara finds out what happened, similar to the Mirage-Nightwing-Starfire relationship debacle in the 1990s, New Teen Titans style. First, I'd just like to give a nod to Zoom for actually making a reference to the 90s Titans stories because nobody wants to talk about those other than Tom Panarese nowadays and me. I, I love those 90s stories, so the fact that you could call out that bizarre triangle, triangle between Mirage, Nightwing, and Starfire, hats off to you, sir. Well done. And he says, I welcome an Aquaman classic review from the Skeets Aparo Giordano era, also known as SAG. You are exuding much joy and enthusiasm in the last Backstroads and Backdrafts segment, both of which have been sorely missed in recent New 52 reviews. Thank I think you. Rob, Rob Thank found you, a way to get his groove on today. Yes, um, I hope you enjoyed the Lady Cop review. <laughs> somebody, Lady Cop. Somebody go out there and write more Lady Cop comics, just so I can read them. Somebody. I, Do we really want Lady Cop fan fiction? No, no. I mean, we know enough prose. Somebody, oh, okay. get Mike, come on. Come on, DC. You got a lot of, there's always a new 52 title you can cancel. Uh, so well, it'd have to be Batman and Lady Cop then, Batman if they're in order Lady for them to publish there it. There you go. Whatever you got to do. Michael Kierscaro wrote in uh, from the non. Where... Oh, sorry, the yeah, non... I... you're doing it. If he's from the road for the non-existent Bato blog, uh, he says uh, he seconds the vote for Aquaman classic coverage. Also, coverage of a more recent Aquaman story, Sub Diego, would be peachy keen too. It's out in trade now with a beautiful new cover. We do need to get around to that. That was a really great story, and I would be happy to read to go over it again so we got to get around to that check we we promised that actually a long time ago yeah, i forgot did. Did, did the trade come out already oh yeah yeah it's been up for a while yeah oh, we yeah, yeah we should do that yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. i love sub diego uh he says while i also know rob's not a fan of peter david's run i think it might be interesting to hear him and shag discuss it especially since the upcoming movie of aquaman seems to be partially inspired by it i recently had the first 25 issues uh of it for the first time and found it to be much better than i thought it would be i avoided it for years because hook hand arthur never appealed to me uh, but f finding close to 25 or so issues in the quarter bins one day at my LCS, it seemed worth spending the five bucks, and it definitely was. Is it my favorite version of Aquaman? No way, but I'm happy to read it. So I vote for coverage on that run at some point. A lot of people have asked that. I just don't. I just don't know. I just because I just don't know how much enthusiasm I can bring to it, and I don't like to do the show when I'm not enthusiastic. So, but you know, who knows. You know what? Uh, here's an interesting thought. Now, now, I love the Peter David run. Um, Rob and I differ on in that. But I'm willing – now, when's the last time you read it? When it first came out? Oh, no, no, no. I, re I reread them uh, for the Shrine when I did reviews of them. Okay. How long ago was that? 
couple years. Shrine's been around 10 years. So, yeah, so. Like at least at least five years. Okay. The reason I'm saying is because you don't like it, as I understand, because of the dark and grim and all that stuff. I don't like virtually any of it. There's okay. virtually no aspect of it I like. Well, I was going to say, you know, dark and grim 90s comics in contrast to modern-day dark and grim comics, true. they probably appear positively bright and shiny at this point. That's true. So you yeah. might feel a little different about it now. I, I, I know I won't, but okay. <laughs> uh, Martin Gray from Too Dangerous from a Girl blog and a recent episode of Secret Origins podcast wrote, You lads deserve a medal for giving Aquaman by Bun four whole issues. I packed in the feature after viewing the sneak peek at Too Dangerous for a Girl. Rotten costume, been there, done that, fugitive setup, Arthur Mirrored Odds, the abandonment of the wonderful place we've been in. When the first issue is reviewed and you tell me it's flashing back and forth, I'm not feeling I made a mistake. Have no fear of a dodgy, yet blameless, new Aquababy once Mira finds out it'll be Siren Sushi. So what to do instead? How about Aquaman's tenure in Adventure Comics when it was a split book, which means you also get to do Plastic Man and Starman. That'd work. Uh, I would. That would be another thing. I think we need to get back to the backup thing because we, we did the first issue of the Adventure Run mm-hmm. by Apera, and I'd love to do the next one because those are, those are my all-time favorite Aquaman comics. So we, if we want to do another Aquaman thing, I would, let's go back to that. Yeah, we could do it. And there's a good handful of Firestorm backups to go. Yep, so right, right. Run the fodder ones for a while. ones of Perez did, yeah. Now, have you listened to that episode of um, Secret Origins with Martin Gray yet? I've listened to every episode of Secret Origins. And, you know, it's you know Ryan's gotten a lot of good guests over the years, uh, or over the months that he's been doing this. But it, it's just a shame he couldn't get someone that could speak English. Um, <laughs> or even put on a, an English translator. Because that, I mean, I, all I could understand was Ryan. I could not understand a word of what he was saying, of what Martin was saying. With his you know, thick Scottish brogue, um, you know, being from Naboo and all that. I just kept singing songs from Oliver. That was very distracting. <laughs> I, I thought he said, there can be only one at some point. But um, Anyway, uh, he does shout out. He, he pointed out to us one of the things, too, about how the on Amazon.com, you know, the, the bookseller, they had the Atomic Knights hardcover advertised, and yet it was the Atomic Knight from the much, much later Atomic Knight design, the one that I despise. Oh, okay. So he, he, I think he was trying to get under my skin. He's good at that. So, heard from our buddy Martin Stein Returns, who his real name is Robert Gross. He said, one of the things, this is about the Firestorm issue, one of the things that made Bug and Bite kind of unique in the Firestorm pantheon of villains is that they had connections in their personal lives to both Ronnie and the Professor. Usually the Firestorm villain had some kind of connection to just one of the two. Multiplex was Professor's disgruntled assistant, Hyena was Ronnie's girlfriend's sister, etc. But Bug and Bite were both schoolmates of Ronnie and were kids of the Professor's new girlfriend. You would think in a city of 8 million people there would be less cross over in the lives of costume heroes and villains, but because comics, I suppose. <laughs> uh, Jeff R. writes in, I'll, I'll suggest Justice League of America 179 through 230 as a run to cover as an extra format, Firestorm's tenure. Although that's an era where Aquaman's pretty scarce, pretty much only in the last story, so maybe pair it with something Aquaman-heavy like the Adventure Run. Another vote for the Adventure Run. I, of course, would love to cover those JLA books. Those are my favorite era of JLA, literally those issues. So those would be fun to do. We, and we did cover the uh, Martian invasion yeah. to 28, to 230 way back in like episode 15 or something with Frank, like really early on in the show. Those were a lot of fun. So, but I, And we did, of course, Jelly 200 as well. Um, and we did 192 and 193. So we've, we've covered some of them over the course of – we've done 148 episodes. So we have gotten to it here and there. You know, that, that one about the Earth-Mars oh, War, I, I feel bad that we unleashed Frank on the world. So that was his first podcasting right. adventure. It's a, it's a good episode. I listened to it again not that long ago. It's funny. 
It's hilarious. It's, yeah. it's like drinking from a fire hose when he starts talking about Martian Manhunter's history. It's great. I, I think you just want to cover the Satin Satan. So those are fun issues. Even though Aquaman's not in them, those are great. They're insane, dude. Yep. They're absolutely insane. The siren song of the Satin Satan. You betcha. <laughs> Uh, all right, we heard from Darren Sutherland from Trekker Talk in the brand new Warlord Worlds, which is a fun show, by the way. They're covering uh, my, all of Mike Grell's stuff. Well, not all, but they're covering a huge chunk of Mike Grell's work. They're going to cover Warlord. They're going to cover his Green Arrow stuff and his stuff on um, John Sable. So they've got one issue, out, one episode out already. You should definitely check it out. They first. better cover that first issue special. Oh, uh, they already did. Yeah, oh, they, they did, did already? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, then I yep. – okay. <laughs> take a sigh of relief there so uh, they actually are in contrast to most other folks in regard to Aquaman they said they are actually enjoying the storyline just fine and they don't see it as unreadable as we said it was at the same time we definitely dislike the new look for Aquaman as he once again becomes the Aqua Conan the Barbarian version of the character that we do not like meanwhile we're thrilled to hear that Johns and Reese are returning to Aquaman though the initial teaser image suggests that they'll sadly continue the more Aqua Conan in their issues as well as the comic moves closer to the version of the character we'll likely see in the upcoming movies. Yeah. But it is, you know what? I find it refreshing to hear from someone that has a different opinion from us and they're enjoying the comic because I want every, I want every comic to be liked by somebody. So I'm glad to hear they're enjoying the comic. Yeah, I don't, That's I don't fantastic. begrudge anybody for liking it. I just, I just don't. But yep. yeah. Heard from our buddy Luke Dobb from Dobb Creative. He says, I'm having the hardest time not giving up on Aquaman right now. I want to keep buying the book to support it, but now it's four bucks per issue and it's getting really hard to justify the expense. And then uh, at the bottom here, he goes, your debate about who's to blame for the current state of the Aquaman book was intriguing because you and I debated whether it was editorial's fault or Cullen Bunn's fault. And then he goes on to say, and I'm going to have to side with Rob on this one. Sorry, Shag. Except he's got it backwards. Because you said it was editorial's fault, and I said it was Cullen Bunn's fault, and he's blaming Cullen Bunn. So actually, he sided with me. Ha ha! Suck it! Anyway, uh, it sounds like Bunn gave up on the book before it even started. That's unacceptable. Blaming the fans is an easy out and feels cowardly. Cullen Bunn was responsible for Cullen Bunn. No one else. At the center of it all, you have to remember that Bunn is being paid by DC to deliver a positive experience to the comic readers. His job is to deliver his best work, whether or not the audience enjoys it. The fact that he publicly announces his lack of concern for the salvageability of the book is disrespectful to, D- to DC as an employer and comic readers who should shovel out $4 per issue. I agree. I, I don't care if editorial told him what to do. It's his job to make it work. Uh, I can't tell you how many times in my job one of the people at the top said, you need to do this, and I say, it's not a good idea. And they say, do it, and I do it to the best of my ability, and by gosh, I make it work. I, yeah, I mean, I, we'll never, I guess we'll never know unless he has the proof of it, but like, you know, he talked about that he got really vicious stuff from fans and look if they wrote stuff on twitter that you can just ignore that but i mean we all know we all know that there are people out there that have no boundaries and you know they send people get sent death threats over nothing not that there's ever a reason to send a death threat for anybody for any reason but it wouldn't shock me if some really unhinged fans sent stuff to cullen bunn was completely over the line and I could see if you're a writer, you might be like, you know what, who needs this grief? I'll go back and write sixth gun. That's my creation and everyone else loves it. And who needs all this nonsense? So, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It, it just, uh, it's, it's just a giant mess and it's almost over. So 
you know. Yeah. Just, yeah. And now Eric Larson can live knowing he doesn't have the most hated version of Aquaman and everything. <laughs> He's finally so <laughs> all right. I did I did not see it coming, but you're right. <laughs> um Jose Jose Rivera writes in I was listening to your most recent episode where you discussed Colin Bunn and how he will soon be leaving the Aquaman title. I haven't kept up with the book since uh, Parker left, and I generally I've heard generally ne- negative things. Uh, he goes into some detail about some of the other stuff about the the brutal fan reaction, like I just talked about. He says all of this is both cringeworthy and fascinating. The run wasn't good. It's a snapshot of the comics industry today and in the influence fans can have. Writers and artists leave runs all the time, but someone leaving due to brutal fan reaction says that things got so bad, Bun decided to step away and focus on other projects. Like Rob said, we may never know what really happened, but what are your thoughts to both sides? Are fans really that bad, or is Bun being overly sensitive? Well, like I said, we don't know. I mean, Bun may have proof of this stuff. I mean, again, you just you don't have to search the internet far to see people can just get threatened over the most ridiculous i mean there was a woman i forget her name she was a columnist i think for cbr and she wrote a thing about a teen titans cover a couple of months ago and and talked about why the the women's anatomy was crazy and wonky and it was you know kind of a sexist cover and she got death threats you know it's crazy it's nuts that was a crazy whole situation right there. It was a pretty sensationalist article at the same time. But it's you not don't defend, want... Well, no, I'm not, hold on. I'm not defending anything anyone wrote to her because it was all terrible. Yes, yes. I was just saying it, it wasn't just a little piece. It was a big sensationalist type article to get attention. Oh, and they got attention. So, um, yeah, you're right. The fan reaction. The thing, though, I mean, the Internet has been prevalent since the 90s. And comic fans have been annoying dicks on the Internet since then. So Cullen Bunn, whether he was a fanboy back then before he became a famous writer or after he's had a very successful career with Six Gun, he should have sort of a thick skin by now, though, and realize you just don't listen to what they're saying. I, I understand that. I'm saying that if if I got death threats for something I was doing, that would scare me. Yeah, okay. I, 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 to, I totally agree there, with that, yes. There is a big difference of somebody on Twitter saying, you effing hack, you suck – Fine, you just whatever, dude. You know, oh, you know, okay, you know, big dick seventy four. That's fine. You can say what you want, but then there could be people who write in and say, "I'm going to kill you." That that's different. That's different. And I I, I don't know if Bun got those or or what. I just wouldn't put it past some people to go over the line like that. And I could see that if you're somebody like Colin Bun, you say, "What well, do I need this grief?" I'll write my own books and I, where I don't get death threats. So. Well, actually, it's not the case. He's writing like every book for Marvel right now. Okay. Well, then, see. Well, okay. Well, there you go. Well, then maybe he maybe that he is exaggerating a little because clearly, uh, you know, he's willing to put himself into that ringer again and taking on other characters. So I don't know. I wonder. Um, yeah, the death threat thing is really disturbing. The fact that it happens at all it just blows my yes. mind. Yes. Yeah. There's no reason for but, it, no matter what somebody does. There's just we are way too casual. Nowadays, with people just being like, oh, "I'll just shoot off a death threat," like, no, you can't well, do that. Well, that's what I'm, I, that's the question I want to pose, and and I'm genuinely meaning this as innocent as possible. But like, I wonder if a our society is so terrible that we can sit there behind the anonymity of a computer and think that I can you can make a death threat with no consequences. Yeah. Are, are the fanboys really that bad? Or the flip side of it is, and this is where I, I'm probably being a worse person, is our comic creators 
using that as a default excuse to get out of a situation because everyone immediately backs off when you say, I got death threats. Everyone's like, whoa, okay, wow. And you know, it's and, certainly possible. You know, yeah. Could someone who doesn't want to fight the internet anymore says, you know what, I got death threats, and then everyone stops. I mean, uh, it, that I wouldn't know. shock me at all either. All I will, I, this will be the last part because we don't want to get the show bogged down on this. We still have some more feedback to go. I have gotten over the course of ten year or nine years on the shrine mm-hmm. some really ugly stuff sent to me by things I posted. And anyone who's read the shrine for nine years, I really kept it just about Aquaman. Mm-hmm. You know, but I used to get a couple of really hideous things. Did I ever get a death threat? No. But did I get stuff that was really, really nasty because of something that it, yeah, I did. And it made me kind of go, why am I doing this? Why am I, why am I doing a blog about Aquaman to get this in the mail? Really? Yeah. From like, some nerd who's mad about that I wrote about that, you know? So I completely agree. In this world, yeah, you could probably use it as an excuse to get out of anything. Hey, I got a death threat. Let me go. Let me go. But I also wouldn't put a pass on people because they're just some crazy yeah. people out there, as we all know. There are. You're absolutely right. Ugh. Speaking of crazy, move on to the uh- next letter. Bradley Null. <laughs> That's not very nice, Rob. <laughs> oh, I was, I was I was looking at David Gutierrez. Sorry. Oh, uh, okay. Bradley, no, you're a good guy. Brad, Bradley's our buddy. Uh, he's our Instagram buddy, actually. He posts a lot of stuff on Instagram for us. He goes, yeah, I, talking about Firestorm. He goes, yeah, I love this issue. My love for the trickster, Blue Devil, and indirectly the Flash Rogues come from the, uh, the insert, the 16-page insert comic. I was one of those kids whose family had a computer when this came out, so I thought the villains, meaning Bug and Bite, were super cool back then. <laughs> I still do if you just for the time. So that's fair. Hey, Bug Very and Bite nice. worked pretty awesome. Yeah, all right. Uh, Davies Gutierrez uh, kicks a man when he's down, says this episode is the roasted bun episode. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, Oscar Olalalalade says, say what you will, but I need a DC collectibles action figure of this version of Aquaman. Love the look, and for one, I enjoy this run. Fantastic. Cool. Again, I- I'm thrilled that you're enjoying it. That's awesome. Van Z wrote in, he goes, because uh, we asked the folks at home, we said, you can tell us what you think we should cover on the show. And they said, as for what you should cover on this uh, on the weeks you don't cover classic Firestorm and current Aquaman, I'd love to hear a show on Aquaman and Firestorm clones, like Nuke and Amphibian from Squadron Supreme, and any others you can think of. Van Z, I am totally up for that. I brought it up to Rob, and I got a real lukewarm... Oh, okay. Uh, which really made me mad. <laughs> I don't have – we have to get Lady Cop in here. I don't have time for this nonsense. <laughs> because anytime someone wants to talk about Squadron Supreme, I am all in that 12-issue maxi series. That's uh, a great series. Oh, my gosh. I've got the trade paperback with Mark Grunewald's ashes. Whoa. Oh, Lord um, <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's crazy. I know you're not. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's such a good comic. So, yeah, covering Amphibian and Nuke would be a blast. I've covered uh, Nuke on the Firestorm fan once in a while just because it's a fun sort of alternative thing. Heard from our buddy Dale Russell who uh, mocked uh, Rob's tagline, Ride the Flame. Ouch. Uh, our buddy uh, Doug G. I'm sorry, Dr. G, the man of neurology from the Pulp the Pixel podcast, gave us a shout out. Thank you very much. Uh, Hicks gone uh, at uh, reading underscore Hicks on Twitter. He says, that Firestorm fan, hearing, hearing Waiting for Doom mentioned on FW Podcast makes me feel like we've arrived. <laughs> that's the Waiting for Doom podcast, guys. Uh, that's Paul over there. Really fun show. Really enjoying the heck out of it. They're Australian, too, so it makes them sound smarter. I don't think they really are, but it makes them sound smarter with their accents. So. Actually, we even got a shout-out from their uh, sentient Twitter handle, uh, Wilf, which is uh, Waiting mm-hmm. for Doom. Right. So. Or Wilfred. I'm sorry, that's his name. Then I uh, heard from Aqua... 
Mander, I guess is how you would say it, or that Aqua writer. And he said, great points on Aquaman number 44. I agree with you guys there. So we weren't the only ones that felt that way. Sure way to get read on the show when you say stuff like that. Uh, Greg Arujo at Jerujo one says, uh, for what it's worth, Aquaman Shrine, I thought your comments on the Aquaman portion of the FW podcast were fair. Thank yep. you, Greg. I hope so. Yep. And our last comment is referencing Firestorm number 24, which is the Bug and Bite story. And this was on Twitter, and it comes from somebody named, let's see if I can pronounce this right, Raphael Cannon. Oh, yeah, the guy who drew the comic. That's right. He says, 80s Firestorm issue I drew, and Jerry Conway wrote in, with the original cyberpunk. Listen around the 21-minute mark. Yeah, he pimped our show. How freaking cool That's is awesome. that? That's great. Uh, Raphael's a really nice guy. So uh, we're going to cover our social media now as far as, like, folks that uh, shared our show on their timeline. So if they, you know, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or Tumblr or whatever, if they retweeted or reshared or whatever or posted it themselves, if they promoted our show on their timeline, a special thanks to you guys. We can't tell you how much it means to us. So I'm going to run through these pretty quickly. I already mentioned Raphael Cannon. So up next, Aaron Head Moss, Al Girding, who goes by Van Z, our buddy Ange, Army of Skanks, Clinton Robison, Craig 101, David A. Pascarella, DC Comics Fan, the DCU Movie Page, Dr. G, the Man of Neurology, Head Speaks, Hicks Gone, Jack Farmer, Jeffrey Brown, Jose Rivera, J Slab 425, <coughs> Keith G. Baker, Mr. Perturbed, Santa Mikey Flash, Sin, Task Force X, The Hammer Strikes, The Penultimate, Trekker Talk, Visnu Ganan, Waiting for Doom, and Willie Yarbrough. And we also got likes and plus ones and favorites from this group of people. Uh, Aaron Head Moss, Abel Badilla, Abel Badilla again, thanks, Jack. Al Girding, <laughs> which is Van Z, Alexander Osias, Andy Capellish, Ange, Aquamander, Army of Skanks, Arthur Cazada, Bat, Brian Mulvey, Calvin Campbell, Carlos Alamillo, Clinton Robson, Corey Hodgson, Count Druncula, Craig 101, Dale Peeling, Dale Russell, Daniel Adams, David A. Pascarella, David Ace Gutierrez, David Tony, Derek William Crabb. Dr. G, the man of nerdology, Dustin Stolfer, Gautam Shioran, Gene Hendricks, Giancarlo Nurko, Greg Arujo, Jack Farmer, Jared West, Jeffrey Brown, Johnny Dor- uh, Dormius, Jose B, uh, Transman, Jose Rivera, Joshua Aguilar, JSlab425, Keith <coughs> Big, oh, good lord, Kevin Culp, Kirk at Kirk Van Lund, Kikade 3, Kyle Benning, Lucien Desar, Luke Dobb, Martin Score, Max Romero, Maximano Ruiz, Michael Wagner, Mr. Perturbed, Oscar Olade, Paul Loves Comics, Rob McKinley, Robert Gross, Rod Pruitt, Ronnie Ling, Roy Williams, Russell Burbage, Santa Mikey Flash, Sean Emmons, Secret Origins Podcast, Shane G slash Boston Brand, Sean Brock, Sean Phillips, Stig Eric Erickson, Stuart Sin, The Penultimate, The Big Underscore Flash, Tim Wallace, Trekker Talk, Wagner Oliveira, Van Z, Vance, Heistan, Visnu Ganon, Will Lil Comics, William Estep, and once again, Willie Arbor. Uh, I have to say thank you to Rob. Normally Rob sticks me with the longer list, so it was very generous of him to take the Merry list Christmas. <laughs> All right, folks, that is going to do it for this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast. I have been the Irredeemable Shag and always will be. Um, so if you want to find us on the interwebs, please find my associate Rob, notice I didn't say friend, over at AquamanShrine.net. You can find him on Facebook and Twitter under the same handle. You can also find him on Twitter under Film and Water Pod. Uh, had to think for a second there to all those characters. And if you so- can't get enough of me and Shag... Listen to the next episode of Film and Water Podcast where Shag will make an appearance. 
Shai will make his first appearance on the Film & Water podcast. Episode 19, I believe it'll be? 20. 20. 20 episodes in. 20 episodes in. And he finally gets around to inviting me. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? So, uh, you can find me... Surefire way to get invited back. (laughs) You can find me on firestormfan.com. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Google+, Instagram, and Tumblr, and apparently the Film & Water podcast as well. And then, uh, Rob, why don't you tell the folks how they can reach us via email and our Tumblr? The Tumblr is fireandwaterpodcast.thelmer.com, and the email is firewaterpodcast.conquest.net, and the blog is fireandwaterpodcast.blogspot.com. Now, on the Tumblr, what we do is we like to post a couple of pages from these issues that we talked about, so I can promise you there will be a lot of super hot smoking silver deer on the Tumblr this week, folks. And Lady Cop. And Lady Cop, too. That's right. That's right. That pencil so, skirt? Oh, be still my heart. It, she's pretty smoking. Yeah, well, it's Dick Giordano on the cover, so you know he can draw a beautiful man. So, all right, folks, that's going to do it. Until next time, fan the flame, ride the wave, and uh, watch out for Lady Cop reading your, her, your Miranda rights. <laughs> Just watch out for VD. Be safe, everybody. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice in sea, on land, in air. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah. This work. Big deal. Liza Warner. I pulled her SCPD personnel file using my computer at Palmer Tech since ours is fritzing. One of the original recruits to the anti-vigilante task force over three years ago. And picked by then-Detective Lance. Do we think she's a suspect? I think that Sergeant Warner has deposited over a quarter of a million dollars into offshore bank accounts the last three months. Where can we find her? I am working on that.